Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. This is the New Living Translation. We're in Mark 3. We're picking back up in the Mark series. And uh, so, yeah, uh, Jesus, I'm going to read the whole chapter, so it's not too long. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to them, hold out your hand. He said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan River and even from as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called, one, called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the twelve he chose. Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, the son of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who uh, had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets his power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could could tie him up and then plunder his house. I tell you the truth. All sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked, around, uh, he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Amen? You guys can be seated. I feel like I just preached. 
This is such a good chapter, and, and we're, picking, we're picking up in chapter 3, and um, uh, I'm really excited to share this morning, and, and I think there's a powerful truth, and uh, if I could just share a little bit about me, and, and I kind of want to highlight some of the church planning stuff. Um, we believe that uh, church plants uh, reach new people. Uh, and if God is calling you to come with us, uh, I also believe as you guys send people out, you're making room for more here. Um, and so it's kind of cool how God does that and what Brian's talking about, even rekindling that passion of six years ago planning Lincoln Square. That's going to happen here, and God's going to call you to reach new people, and more people are going to come into this beautiful family. Um, so I'm so excited about what God's going to do uh, over the next six months through both Lincoln Square and Edison Park. Uh, and we're so thankful, so appreciative for what God's doing. Um, well, Brian mentioned my wife, Erin. Erin and I have been married for about 13 years. Um, and I just want to tell you just a little bit about uh, our time together. And uh, she's smiling at me pretty big because um, she likes me. Um, but anyways, Erin uh, and I worked together at a Christian organization, parachurch organization. And what this camp, this camp does is it brings like 22, like, college-age students who love Jesus, and they put them together, and they send them all over the country, and then they do camps for uh, middle school and high school students all summer long, right? Um, and, like, they, they interview you really well. Like, these are people, like, if you, if you ever had a kid, you're like, hey, yeah, meet someone here. Like, this is a, a good person, right? So anyways, I didn't know Erin before we were on that team that summer, and she walked in the door, and I'm telling you, something caught my eye. And it was her because I've worked at this camp for seven years and no other person I've ever worked with caught my eye like Aaron caught my eye. And it was just from, from moment, from moment one, before I even talked to her, before I even met her, it was like, something's different. Like, wow. And I was talking, Aaron and I were talking, like, we don't believe in soulmates, but we believe in becoming soulmates. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like there's, Aaron and I weren't the only people meant for each other, but like, as we're together now, like, we're the only person. I can't imagine my life without Aaron. Um, like that's how much I want to be with her, right? Um, but in that moment of meeting her, and, and, and like I just knew, and right, I wasn't the creepy dude, but like I knew fairly on, like early on, I'm like, yeah, I would love to marry this woman, right? Like she's awesome. Um, but like I just wanted to spend all day long with her. Luckily, uh, I was running front of house, which is like audio and stuff like that. Aaron worked at like selling um, like products for camp, like camp t-shirts, stuff like that, which happened to be right outside um, where the sound was, and so we, we could sit together, uh, I'd help her count her products, um, you know, she would leave me notes and stuff, that's how I knew she liked me, um, but, uh, but yeah, it was just this time and season where, um, like, we just wanted each other, like, we just, we, we would stay up late knowing that we would be tired the next day because we got to talk to each other, right? Um, like, it's that kind of thing where you literally put yourself in a physical deficit in certain areas of your life just to spend time with this one person because they're that important to you. Have you ever felt that? Yeah. Guys are like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> the ladies are like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, over time, over time, what happens in marriage, right? Like, like life happens, right, and things uh, just naturally, uh, responsibilities become greater. You buy a house, and now you got to provide for that house, right? you got to take care of that house, and you get kids, and, and they, they really dominate. If you have kids, you understand, like, everything revolves around kids. And over time, what used to be a desire of want is now this burden of need, right? Like, we need each other. We fill these needs for each other, and we lose that spark. We lose that that twinkle in our eye because the need takes precedent. And if you don't feel that need, 
if you don't have that want, if you don't have that desire, if my needs change, then I begin to look elsewhere to fill that need because that's what's important to me in the moment. And so we, we do that. We, we go to counseling like probably three or four times in our marriage. I'd encourage marriage counseling for anyone. It's a great way just to keep yourself centered, keep yourself in, in, from believing your lie. I believe like the way you change is to confront the lie, confirm the truth, change will happen. The problem is most of the time we live in the lie. And we just keep making the lie true, right? So anyways, in our marriage, we had uh, one, one counselor. He's in his late 90s, still kicking. Um, uh, yeah, this is probably like three years back. Um, wonderful man, um, wonderful man. And it was one of the just, I'll just say, most unique experiences of my life as far as like being counseled by someone. But what exuded him at 96, let's call him 96, at 96 was his passion for his bride. I mean, at certain times it got awkward, right? Like hearing this 96-year-old man talk about his wife. Um, but it was so evident, like what he, like what he just, he preached to us and preached to us and instilled in us is, you know, his, his main goal as his wife is now, you know, for him, he was healthy, his wife wasn't so healthy, and she was so dependent on him to fill every, all of her needs, like, just to get her ready for the day, and, like, for him, it was, like, what his thing was, I want her to know more than anything that, that I'm not feeling a need for her, but that I want her, even at, in 90s, like, I can't even imagine, right, like, I'm, I'm in my 30s, and 60 years from now, you know, just, just amazing, so, I don't know if you've ever felt that, that, that idea where it kind of shifts from want to need. And maybe you're in that place right now. Maybe, um, maybe it's a position of work where you know you're needed and you feel that need. The problem with need is if the needs change, you don't have purpose. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're a really good teacher and all of a sudden over time, uh, the thoughts that come so easily, the truths that you're able just to instill in other people, it just becomes hard. Where's your purpose? Who are you? Right? We live, I, I follow baseball. I'm a huge baseball fan. And it's usually what we say a lot is, what have you done for me lately? That's our culture. It's not a want. It's not I want you because of who you are. It's what have you done for me lately? So maybe you feel that, maybe you don't. Um, I, I want to acknowledge if you're a two on the Enneagram, you're probably going to struggle with today's message because the idea is that Jesus wants you because he wants you, okay? He doesn't need you. He wants you because he wants you. If you're a two, you want to be needed, right? You need to be needed, and we all fill that role. Like, we all fill those things, and the, the deal is when we, when we focus on need, we control we have, we value, like we control our value. But if I need you and then I shift, you, don't, you really don't have control. So what does the Bible say about this? I think Mark 3 is, is beautiful and we see Jesus throughout this chapter um, entering in. And so we're going to focus in, in, chap, in verse 13, but just kind of highlighting, I wanted us to see this whole grand picture of what's happening in chapter 3. Jesus went into the synagogue. Why does he go into the synagogue? Because he wants to be with the people. You know, it doesn't say he went in to heal a man's hand. He went in and noticed a man. He wanted to be with the people. And then he, he heals this man's hand, even though he knows that his enemies are going to plot against him. 
Jesus has this immense compassion and anger. I mean, that's because he wants. You get angry at something that you're defending, and you defend what you want, right? Um, You don't defend what you need necessarily because you might be able to get it in another place. Um, But I want you, and I want him. I want this guy to have a, a healthy hand. So he's in there. He's doing that. He looks around them angrily. He moves on, and and from there, he goes out to a lake with his disciples, um, which I just want to, like, here I get this picture. I don't know if if you grew up, I grew up in the church, and a lot of my um, understanding of the Bible, I say, comes from, like, a felt board um, in Sunday school. You know, you put the little cutouts on it, and it's like, you know, all the ugly stories of the Old Testament by ugly, I just mean it's kind of gross in the Old Testament. Um, They were all pretty and, like, only God did cool things in the Old Testament, and then you grow up and read it, and you're like, what? I didn't see that. Um, that's not my felt board. Um, but anyway, so he goes out to the lake with his disciples. So here's the felt board. The felt board is God calls the, the, the 12 disciples, and those are like the first, right? And that's where it all began. But, but here, he, he had these disciples, it's many people. It's many people. Like, it's not in the New Testament, like, just 12 people are following, and it's a small crew. No, like, Jesus is attracting a lot of people. He went out to the, with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from, uh, uh, from east of the Jordan River, even as far north as Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon is about 50 miles north of where they are right now. And so if you think about the transportation mode of the day, like donkeys and walking, like that's about a three to four day journey. Like that's pretty crazy for in that time, no cell phones, no Facebook, no like news, even nightly news or anything. Like for Jesus to have that kind of pull and draw is, is you can just kind of see, wow, this is like the real deal. This is like a movement happening. The news of his miracles is just spreading far and wide and people are coming to see him. So He's at this lake. He instructs his, his disciples uh, to get a boat ready because he's, he's basically healing people and he's afraid he might be crushed. Um, this made me think, and I don't know if you ever heard of this story, in 1971 there was a soccer match in Scotland and um, there was this late goal in this match that, that completely changed the outcome of the game. And if you're in Europe, soccer is life. Um, and uh, the, the crowd just mass exodus this stadium to the point where 66 people died from being crushed. I just want that to sink in for a minute. Just because the game was over. And I got to get out of here. Like, church is over. I want to eat. See you later. I'm crushing everyone in my path right there. <laughs> Sorry. We'll see you in heaven. Um, but, but like crazy. Now, now flip the script. And what, what's happening here is people are coming who are lame. People are coming... Who, who literally have this physical ail and, and, and like they're hurting and they're in pain and Jesus is the source of healing. And there's many people here and they're pushing and they're reaching out. And Jesus is like, hey, get me a boat. I just want that to sink in because that's like real. Um, and Jesus is there healing and he's desperately wanting to be with his people. All day long he's doing that. So now we get to verse 13. Jesus wants you because he wants you. And this is kind of where, for me, it kind of gets, like, this is what stuck out to me as, as, we, as I was studying and preparing. What, what does God want us to see this morning? Verse 13, it says, afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountainside. So after this whole day of healing people, after this, this chaotic scene of just him working all day for the gospel and for, for just healing people and, and loving people and being with people, he withdraws from the mountain and called out to the ones that he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and he called out to the ones he wanted. He wanted. 
in our culture, I don't think we really get the word want. Because want, like, if I want you over here and you sit, you don't necessarily do anything. It's just, it's based on me wanting you. And if you're the position of wanting, that's hard because you want to have a purpose. You want to do something. You want to be doing something. And we're told we don't have value unless you're doing something, unless you're accomplishing something in your life. And so we hear Jesus wants us. Does it really take hold? Or on the flip side, are we believing that Jesus needs us or that I need to change so that Jesus will want me or that he will like me? He calls out to the ones that he wants to go with him, and they came to him. This, this is right before he appoints the 12 apostles. So the ones he wanted to go with him were bigger than the 12. I just want you to think a minute. Like, they're up on a mountainside. He's about to appoint 12 disciples. I wonder what the conversations were. Like, were there 50 people there? Was, you know, if there's 50 people, probably took a minute for, there's still a large crowd down by this lake. He's getting up here on this mountainside, which is really just like a hillside. And let's say there's 50 people there. And what's Jesus talking to? Like, is he going around saying, hey, you know, how are you doing? You know, hey, tell me about, you know, what's going on in your life. What's, what's your biggest win right now? Or, or you know, hey, what, what's really hurting you right now? Like what, I just envision Jesus going around and talking to, to his followers the people that he wants to be with, just to get to know them, just because he wants to. Jesus wants you because he wants you. I think there's power in this because um, want is based on the person wanting. Now, with me wanting my wife, Aaron wanting me, over time, we need counselors to kind of keep us on the straight and narrow, right? Like there's times where we kind of we believe our own lies, or I love, you know, I call myself inconsistent at best. Paul says it in the New Testament. I find myself doing what I don't want to do and not doing what I do want to do, and, and like, I believe, like, we kind of all live in that tension, right? But hear the truth this morning that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. There's nothing you can do to change the level that Jesus wants you. You can't sin your way out of it, and you can't work your way into it. He wants you. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of move on from this because I think we can, there's a danger, right? Like, oh, Jesus wants me. Is this all about me? No, actually, I think it's the opposite. I would say if you have a belief that Jesus needs you, that's all about you. Because that's you thinking you're the Savior. That's you thinking you control and you have the power and you have the authority. But no, it's Jesus. He wants you. And he does something with you when you come to him. He does something with you. He doesn't just sit with you on the hillside. Yeah, he sits there. He gets to know you. But then what does it say? He says, they go to him and they came to him. So I want to encourage you in response to Jesus wanting you, go to him, move to him, like get close to him, spend time with him. What does he do? Here he appoints the 12 apostles. He says, then... He appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and they would send him out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. When we go to Jesus, Jesus doesn't leave us. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't one, he wants us, we go to him. He doesn't just leave us off to the side. He gives us a purpose. He gives us his purpose. 
And he wants us to partner with him in what he's doing. Uh, what I love here is uh, what he does with the apostles. He does four things. Um, in verse 14, it says, uh, first he called them. And so, so Jesus calls you, okay? When you meet Jesus, he calls you to him. Then he leads you. It says that they accompanied him. He leads you. So you can follow him. You're not out here alone. You're not on your own path. You're not wavering, what do I do, God? What do I do? No, no, no. You're following Jesus. He's in front of you. And sometimes it's hard for us because we want to see beyond Jesus. We want to see the end game. Instead of just keeping our face literally on the backside of Jesus, letting his face be the direction that we follow. He decides where we go. We lean into that. So he calls you. He leads you. Then the next thing that he does is he says that he sends them out. And so he sends you. He's going to not just lead you, but he's going to eventually send you out with what? He equips you his authority. So he, he does these four things to you when you go to Jesus. Um, and he's leading you for a purpose. He's giving you his purpose, not your purpose, not your need, his need in you, fulfilling that. And so as we press in, I guess what I want to say is this, that I think it's so hard for us to really get this concept of want over need um, because we really feel this idea that, that we have purpose in doing something. Um, but Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. Jesus, he owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has legions of, of angels, warrior angels he could call down at any point he wanted to. He walks on water. He heals people from the dead. And if that's not enough for us, he literally holds all the galaxies in his hands. And with a single breath, he breathes life. So what is it that we really think we have today that he needs? And the beauty there is that we get to rest. We get to rest in his wanting. The word, I think, is, is, is instead of um, we don't strive, but we thrive. We thrive in Jesus, or we strive running after our own needs. So I want to do something with us here um, that I think is good in, in just understanding our want in Jesus. I've, I've got this Apple Watch as a gift this past Christmas. I love this Apple Watch. It reminded me to do this this morning. About six times a day, day it reminds me to breathe. It's called the Breathe app. And the reason I love it is I don't like to breathe. I like to move. Like, I'm, I'm thinking all the time. I'm just... But when, when I find myself, it reminds me, and I check into it, and I just pause, and I breathe, and I exhale. Like, literally, I've noticed my heart rate drop. And so, anyways, what I want to invite you to do this morning, right now, as, as, as we just take a moment, if you will, just close your eyes. Be as still as you can be. And just breathe. Breathe in deep. And then exhale. Do it again. Breathe in deep. And then exhale. And as you do that, keep doing that. And as you do that, listen to this. As Jesus wants you, just because he wants you, keep breathing. Keep exhaling, letting go of the need that you want in your heart. Like, just understand that Jesus wants you because he wants to be with you. 
Keep breathing and exhaling. It's an invitation this morning. Jesus is wanting you is an invitation this morning to receive the baggage redeeming love of Jesus Christ. You don't have to earn anything because he's given it to you. You don't have to run the rat race, check off the list, check off the box. Oh, I came to church. Oh, I prayed the prayer. Oh, I studied my Bible. Oh, I helped the homeless man. Oh, I did this. Oh, I did this. Jesus, you need me. Don't you love me now? Don't you like me now? No, I already wanted you. It's why I came. It's why I lived. It's why I died. It's why I rose again and made a way for you to be with me forever. One more breath, one more exhale, and I want to give you this truth. Jesus didn't come to save you. He came to be with you forever. Let me say that one more time. Because a lot of times we think Jesus came just to save us, right? No, Jesus didn't come to save you. He came to be with you forever. And the means by which he could be with you forever is to die for you, to save you. His purpose was not to save you. His purpose was to be with you. Emmanuel, God with us. You can open your eyes. I encourage you to practice that, just centering, breathing, and and just letting go and exhaling. So we see that Jesus wants us for just because he wants us, right? And then he he takes us and he gives us purpose and he sends us out and we go with him. But God does something more than, Jesus does more than that. And and, and as I'm closing up this chapter, as as we kind of close it down here towards the end of the chapter, um, Jesus, uh, in verse 31, I want to pick it back up. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mothers and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So if Jesus wants us because he wants us, what do we do with that? We go to Jesus. And as we go to Jesus, Jesus gives us his purpose. And I think here's the representation of his purpose for us. I think it's the same purpose for all of us. Um, it, it plays out in different ways. It looks different. Some of us are good carpenters. Some of us are, are teachers. Some of us are, are educators. Some of us are, are pastors. Some of us are politicians. Some of us are musicians and artists. Um, it plays out in different ways, but it's the same purpose. And it's an invitation to be in the family of Jesus. Catch this here. When Jesus' and, mother and brothers come to, to get him, and he, in essence, denies them. This is, their, this is his physical family. In this, uh, in this um, day and age, this is his entire support system. Um, this is literally um, his standing in the community is based on your family. The honor and shame you hold in society, the power, the authority, comes from your family. He's denying all of that, and he's setting up something different. And my call to you is this, that what this could look like, if we really believe that Jesus wants us, and then in response we go, like the disciples went to him, 
that we get to come into a new family. Now, some of you have great families, earthly families. Some of you have fond memories. Some of you had great upbringings. Some of you didn't. Some of you struggle, and you look back, and maybe you're an orphan. Maybe, um, maybe you, you bounced around from house to house. Maybe you don't even know your parents. Either way, those families have limited time. There's limits on that. Um, I remember talking to Aaron the other day, and I was like, uh, like, it just struck me, and I don't know why it struck me in this moment, but it did, that Aaron and I will spend more, like, when all is said and done, if, if everything works out and, and, you know, we're not, you know, I don't randomly pass away from something or whatever, but, like, if we live on to be our, our marriage counselor, if we're in our 90s, um, and uh, saying what we want to say, and you just have to listen when they're in their 90s, um, if we get to that point, we will spend more time just her and me together than any other human relationship I have. Like, my kids do what? They grow up and they move away. My in-laws are in town. They live in Florida, and they have two children. One lives in Chicago, and one lives in the same state, but 12 hours away, eight hours away. So our earthly family, it's our earthly family, right? Like, it has power. It has meaning. But what Jesus is calling to is something greater, something bigger, something with eternal bond, something that can't be separated, something that he even shows here beforehand where he talks about a house divided will fall. It's not divided. Jesus literally goes to these people who accuse him to be of the devil, and he says, look, I have authority over the devil. I will never fall. I will never be destroyed. This is my family. And then it says, look, these are, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. This is my money. Anyone who does the will, does God's will, is my brother and sister and mother. And so it's an invitation to come into his family. And I believe your purpose in all of this, what God is saying to you, what Jesus is saying to you is your purpose is to invite people into the family. He wants everyone. He wants you because he wants you. He wants me because he wants me. That's his whole thing. His whole thing is he wants. The whole chapter of, of Mark 3, Jesus went into the synagogue. Jesus went out to the lake. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountainside. Jesus called them over and responded. Everything in here is Jesus moving to somewhere where people are, his people, his family, those he's calling to his family, people who are like, hey, I want to be healed. And he's like, hey, I have a greater healing, which is salvation, right? It's coming into the family. He wants all of us. And so wherever God has you, if he has you um, in a marketplace, if he has you in an art studio, if he has you in a school, if he has you in a church, the purpose is the same, and that's to call people into the family of Jesus, knowing that it is everlasting and it, it will never fall, it will never crumble. It's there forever. Um, if you will, uh, close your eyes real quick. We're going to close in prayer and move on into a time of response. We're about to walk into a time of communion and, and some singing. And as we enter in communion today, I think um, I want us to challenge ourselves this morning right now as we, we focus and in this next moment we, we partake of communion, which is the representation of what Jesus did for us. Um, his, the, the bread represents his body being broken. The wine represents his blood being poured out for all sins, for all iniquity. And he took our sin and shame, our penalty, to the cross, to death, 
and resurrection, we can now be in the family of Jesus by believing in him. That's, that's God's will. Right there at the end of Mark, at the end of Mark 3, where Jesus says, anyone who, who does God's will, in Luke, there's a second account of this, and it says, the way Luke puts it is, anyone who hears this word and does it. And the word is believing that Jesus wants us, doesn't need us, we can't make ourselves better or good enough to go to God, but God came to us, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus came to us because he wants us desperately. And all we can do is respond the same way the disciples did on that hillside, which is they went to him. And so this morning as we do communion, go to him. If you've been in this family most of your life, the family of Jesus, celebrate, remember, rest, and exhale. Let go of, of your striving and rest in the thriving love of Jesus Christ. If you are new to this family or maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus, there's an opportunity if you're, you're relatively new to the faith to, to just firm up and remember and not lose hold of the idea that you are in this because he wants you not because you possess something that he needs from you. And what he wants for you is so much greater than you could ever hold in your hand or have. And if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, if you don't believe, and if you haven't placed your faith and your trust in him, I encourage you to come to the table this morning in a way that says, yes, you want me. And because of that, I'm going to go to you. And I'm going to be in your family. There's going to be prayer in the back. And I encourage you to, as you're doing communion and you go back, like, go and ask for prayer. John says that if you confess your sins one to another, you will be healed. And so whatever you're struggling with this morning, whatever is holding you back, whatever that, that check box is that you're checking, where you're trying to earn your way into heaven, you're trying to earn your way with Jesus, and maybe you just don't even think Jesus likes you this morning. Have you ever felt that? You knew someone loved you, but you didn't know if they liked you? It's almost like their love was an obligation. Perfect love. That's Jesus. It's not an obligation. He likes you. Let's stand together. I'm going to close this in prayer. And then you can, during this next song, uh, partake of communion. If our communion people can come up, our prayer team will be in the back. Jesus, we thank you for your word in Mark. We thank you that in the entire chapter of Mark, you are entering into our spaces because you want us desperately and then I thank you that there is a call for us to go to you and that we can go to you, not in fear, but in freedom. And I thank you that you will not leave us there, but you will send us out for your purpose. And that is to be in the family of Jesus and to call people into that family. Firm us up in that purpose. We love you. We love you and thank you for first loving us, for liking us. 
for liking us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.